There's a lot of humor in that, but there's a lot of truth to that in some ways. And many of us have felt that way. And um, my theme this morning is why do bad things happen to good people? I'm not implying by that that, uh, in this case, Bruce or Jim Carrey is the good person. I'm not a judge of that. But uh, in this particular movie, he he certainly played that role. And uh, I just almost blasphemous at times in that little thing that you see there. But at the same time, I like that because I have felt that way before. I'll just be real honest with you. And maybe if you're going to be real honest, you will admit that there have been a few times when you have felt, maybe you didn't verbalize it. I certainly have never had the courage to verbalize it. But I have felt like, gosh, God, give me a break. You know, been a few times like that in my life, and and some of us have had some times like that where we're thinking, "Gosh, you know, why why is this happening?" We don't have to think very far. We don't have to look very far in the news to start thinking about bad things that happen to, at least from our view, good people. I mean, we can all of us were just appalled a couple of weeks ago by this horrible video of this man leading this little girl astray, and then ended up killing her down in Florida. And that was just, you just look at that and think, how does that happen? And just one thing after another that you can probably think of that maybe wasn't on the news, but maybe it happened to a person, personal friend of yours or something like that. And it all, it causes us to think. And many times it causes us to reflect. Okay, if there is a God in heaven, as I believe there is, why does this happen? That's really the question in this series that we're doing on 10 things that make the church cringe. And and uh, they're all on here. And we have plenty of those cards in the back if you want to grab some on your way out because we got a few more weeks to go. But um, we're, we're talking about those hard questions concerning God. And and this was a funny movie, by the way. That movie that we just saw the clip of, Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey was in it. It's a funny movie, but in a, in a humorous way. It, it drives home some pretty interesting points and we're going to see some other clips of that in in a couple of weeks as well because it just it has some very interesting questions doesn't answer those questions but it it poses some very very interesting questions that most of us at one time or another in our lives can relate to so why do bad things happen to good people i'm going to give you three things real simple real quick um, but i think very truthful because this is something that you just can't live very long without dealing with in a very, um, very heart, some cases, heartbreaking kind of way, whether it be for you or someone else. I'm going to give you three things. I'm not going to tell you these are the three formulas or these are the three reasons or these are the three, just to kind of help you think through this. First thing is this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a very broken world. You've heard me say this before. We live in a broken world full of broken people who do broken things to each other. And we're all one of those broken people. It's called the fall of man. Whatever your view of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, there is a fall of mankind there, whether you believe in federal headship or some other kind of, all kinds of theological terms that, that are there. We live in a fallen world. And you know, one of the interesting things to me in my lifetime is you don't have to really defend that proposition much anymore. You don't have to look very... Most people realize, whatever their beliefs, 
Most people are ready to realize, they're ready to come to the table and say, yeah, it is a broken world. Look around. Maybe the 24-hour cable news networks have helped us see that more. You know, maybe it's just living life. I don't know. But let me show you just one, well, two verses from the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 8. Look what it says here. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The decay of the world. And when you read all around that verse, we're not going to do that now, but when you read all around that verse, you see that the curse is the, the sin or fallen mankind and the nature his fallen nature, and what that has done to the world that we live in. And it's not just me, it's not just you, it's everything around us. Um, for those those who may not, you know, totally grasp this thing, just, just explain the sense of, there's a sense of justice in the world that all of us have, whatever our beliefs. Uh, there's, you ever hear someone say, and this is always interesting to me, because I love hearing it from someone who may not particularly call themselves maybe a follower of Christ, or maybe even consider themselves agnostic or, or atheistic. I always love hearing them say this, and I, and I always, humorously at least, try to, to draw attention to it, because I've heard people like that more than once say, well, that's not fair, thinking about something in the news or something that happened to somebody. That's not fair. And I always like saying, well, who says it's not fair? How, how can you make that determine that's not fair? If you don't believe in God, and if you, if you, don't, not think, if you don't think God is even real... Who says that's not fair? Maybe it's fair to go take an Uzi and gun down a bunch of bunch. Maybe that's okay. You know, obviously, I'm overstating the case here. But we have a sense of justice. That comes because I believe we all have a sense of a God. And as a result of that, we look at the world around us and we see things that aren't fair, that truly aren't fair, that we all can agree just that's not right. And we can say, how does that happen? We live in a world that has been totally contaminated in one form or another by this thing called sin, the fallen world. It's, it happened in, in the first three chapters of Genesis. Whether you believe that's literal, or whether you believe that's symbolic, or whether you believe that's an allegory, it gives us an understanding of the kind of world that we live in. Um, when, you, when you just look at what could happen in people's lives, and you watch, you know, just the things that take place, and you look at things, and we don't have to think very far back to even uh, just the catastrophe and the tragedy of 9-11, and the many good people that were affected and had their lives taken, or loved ones taken from them. Um, we live in a broken world. How can that happen? Because some religious zealot wrong thinking as they might be, and wrongly motivated as they were, did this? Well, yeah. That was, what, that was the direct cause of it. But even in a greater sense, people are misguided because of the world that we live in and how it's been affected. So, why do children get cancer? Why do innocent lives get taken? Because the world that we live in has been contaminated by the choice that we all made in one way or another, and mankind has been corrupted. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus, to the earth to redeem it, to restore it, to, to build in us what we were meant to have from the very beginning. 
which is a relationship with God. Because in the very beginning, we were created in the image of God. And we all still have that imago Dei, that, that image of God in us. And, and, and Jesus came to restore us to that relationship with God. But it doesn't change the fact that the world has been condemned the way that it has because of sin, because of, of fallen mankind. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. Now just stay with me on that thought because that's going to affect the, these next two or three things that we're going to talk about. But I, I want you to grab that one. We live in a broken world, folks, with broken people who do broken things. That's why there's heartache. That's why there's heartbreak. That's why there's some of the things that all of us have to deal with. Death, untimely death, divorce, adultery. It's the kind of world that we live in. Now, God's got an answer for that. For us individually. It's not going to affect the world as a whole until, I believe, in some age to come. Possibly. Uh, not possibly. I believe that's going to happen. But that's that's... That's another, that's another message, another time, another talk as we talk about prophecy. But the world that we live in is, is, is condemned because of the fallen nature of mankind. All right? And that's what we see there. Death and decay. We live in a very broken world. Second thing I want you to see. Why do good people, or why do bad things happen to good people? Because sometimes good people do stupid things. Okay? I just wanted to make it as blunt as I could make it. You know, I'm a pretty good person, but I've done some stupid things. And when I do, I usually end up paying some kind of a consequence. Um, one very simple verse on this, it's, it's quoted in different places in Scripture, but Galatians chapter 6, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we make horrible decisions. Sometimes we do things that are flat out wrong. Whether it be a sinful wrong or whether it just be wrong wrong. And we pay the price for that. There's a consequence for that. One of the things I want you to think about on that is this. Often I've heard people say this, and it bothers me sometimes, and that is, well, you know, he's a good person, but what he did was wrong, and he's got to pay the consequences, and there are consequences. Yes, there are. Unfortunately, the church, Big C, often thinks they've got to kind of pile on and add to those consequences. The consequences of what people do when they do wrong things are effective enough for what happens internally. We don't need to pile on. And I'm afraid sometimes we who, who have been a part of, and this is, this is one of the reasons that, that for a few years, um, well, many different times in my life, I have had some problems with the church, Big C, because we have a tendency to make judgments. And we have a tendency to say, well, they did this wrong, therefore, and in our, in our, some, in some cases, sincere desires to be, to really be good and, and, and to stand for what is right. We say, well, they did this wrong and I'm going to treat them a certain way because of, you don't need to do that. God will deal with that person. God has a way of dealing with us internally when we screw up, when we fail, when we, when we sin, when we fall short of what, what we're supposed to. God has a way of dealing with us. You know what we need? We need somebody to love us. 
we need somebody to do what Galatians, I don't have the passage for you on the PowerPoint, but I'll, I'll just tell you what it is. We need, we need somebody to come along and do what Galatians 6 talks about, which is to help restore that person to where they need to be. And too many times in what we call religious circles, or the church, or whatever, whatever, you know, fellowship groups, or whatever you want to call it, too many times we think we have to kind of be the, the lightning rod for God to bring consequence and judgment to that that individual who really messed up. And we don't need to do that because we need to deal. That person needs to deal with God and God alone. He doesn't need a whole bunch of a side order of guilt, as they say. I like that line, a side order of guilt to go along with it. So sometimes bad things happen to good people because good people sometimes do stupid things. And here's all I want you to think about. Here's my point. These first two points are just... Um, pretty quick and, and, and simple, but I, I want to just mention it for this reason. The next time you undergo, and maybe it's happening right now with some of you, I don't know. The next time you undergo some tough times, and maybe you're feeling like we saw Jim Carrey feel in the film clip there, and you're just feeling like God has turned his back on you. He hasn't. I want you to know that. But maybe you feel like that. I want you just to kind of think through that for a moment. Did this happen because of some failure on my part? Maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe so. And if that's the case, you know, God is a loving, forgiving, gracious God. And it's just a matter of coming. And we have promises in the Bible that tells us, for instance, if we, are, if we sin, we confess our sins. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John chapter 1. Next time, you know, just do that. And if there's some consequences that come along with that, you deal with that. I dealt, I talked with somebody not too long ago, and they just really undergoing some really intense stuff. And, and they talked about what they did. And they said, you know, I brought some of this on myself. And at the same time, you know, I've, I've come to the Lord, and I've asked him to forgive me, and I know that he has, but I still have to deal with some of this thing. And we, we, we sort of laughed and cried about that whole concept Things can be hard enough, except when you shoot yourself in the foot as well. And, and sometimes that happens. And sometimes that happens to really good people. And sometimes that happens to really good people who love God and who desire to live for Him. And when that happens, you come to God and you confess it. And you, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with, hey, Lord, there are certain consequences to this. I would, please help me. You know, God doesn't abandon us because we sinned. He's still there. He doesn't say, okay, okay, you, you made your bed, you're going to lie. And, uh, you know, that's not God. That's not the way God operates. There may be some natural consequences. You know, if I'm driving down the road in my car and, I'm, and I hit a telephone pole going 80 miles an hour, it doesn't really matter whether that's Rich Teeters or the Pope of Rome, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Certain things happen, you know? Certain, now, does that mean God can miraculously... You know, rescue someone? Yeah, he has. He has. But not always. There's a certain, you know, law of physics that takes effect on that. And that's true with whatever it happens to be. And we need to understand that and deal with that. Thank God for his forgiveness. Deal with whatever we have to deal with. Mend how whatever has to be mended or heal whatever has to be healed and move on with our lives and not stay there. It's an important issue. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, because we live in a very broken world. Number two, because sometimes good people do stupid things. Third thing, why do bad things happen to good people? Because 
Here we go. God has something else going on. Because God might have something else going on. Now, this, I'm going to take you, this is some good stuff. I'm going to take you to a couple of passages of Scripture that I have I've spent a lot of time in at different times of my life. And uh, you'll see what I mean by that. The first one I want you to see is one that you hear me quote frequently if you come here very much. It comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph is talking to his brothers. He's talking to his brothers who abandoned him, who betrayed him, who left him for dead, sold him into slavery. But as for you, he's talking to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I have often taken myself back to the time when, when, when Joseph was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And they were, they were basically just jealous of him. He really wasn't at fault. I mean, he, he could have been guilty maybe of having a little pride. I, we don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't say clearly. But I've often just sort of pictured in my mind what that must have been like for this young, youngest brother of 12 uh, to, be, to be there and, and to have all his family turn against him, to beat him up, throw him in an in a empty cistern, empty well, and then wait for some slave traders to come along and sell him into slavery. And I've often thought, because the Bible doesn't give us detail here, there have been several novels that have, and they've been very interesting, some of that I haven't read all of them, but um, I've often wondered though, and thought how Joseph must have felt like my life as this upper middle class young boy is over, as I know it. And how could they do this to me? How could they do this? I mean, the, the thoughts that must have gone into his mind of the betrayal, of, of the lack of trust, of people who he loved just basically saying, you know, you're out of here, man. And I've, I've thought about that, how, how he must have felt. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he was like Jim Carrey was in the movie a moment ago, the, the clip that we saw. Maybe he even questioned God. He wasn't perfect. Maybe he even said, God, how could you do this to me? I've been obedient. I've been a good boy. I've followed the rules. And look at me. Look at this. And, and you know, for, and he went into, he went into, you know, went into prison. He had 20 years of just, you know, going to jail and getting out of jail and going back to jail and being falsely accused by some woman for hitting on her and all kinds of other stuff. And then toward, toward the end, 20 years after that, he says this to his brothers when he's in a position of power to be able to do something to them, and they're worried that he will. And he says, hey, you know what, guys? I think he said it like this. You know what, guys? You meant to hurt me. But I don't care. God meant it for good. I love you. And if it had been me, I'd have probably said, but you're a bunch of jerks. Anyway, but I don't know. I don't, he, I don't know. I don't know that he said that. I would have. I'd have, I'd have had to get a few names in there. But, um, and then smiled and asked for forgiveness. But anyway, we don't, we don't, <coughs> excuse me. We don't know that he did that. Many times in life, the thing that seems to be total failure, total, total shipwreck, um, is the very thing that God can take and use to give us greater fulfillment than we ever knew or ever thought that we would know. And maybe it's in a business failure. Maybe it's in a failed marriage. Maybe it's with a child or a parent. 
something that just real, whatever. And my, my advice to people in those situations is just hang on. Just hang on. The end of that story hasn't been written yet. You know, and it hasn't. So just hang on with that. You say, that's kind of trite. Yeah, it is. The difference is, I really believe it in my heart. Because I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. Of how God's taken just screw-ups by others, by myself. And turned around and used it for incredibly good stuff in my life. So, because God has something else going on. Now, before I go, I'm going to take you, I'm going to warn you, okay, a little disclaimer here. I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture, and we're going to show it for you, show it to you here on PowerPoint. Um, and we're going to read through it. It's a long passage of Scripture. But I spent a lot of time in this passage of Scripture because there have been times, and this is one of those, this is one of those chapters. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to edit it at some but it's Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite passages to go to when things just are coming in close on me. When I just feel, when I've just felt like at times, <laughs> uh, there's no hope. You know, I'm dead. This isn't going to work. I'm, you know, it's over. And this is just one of those incredibly, to me, and I, and I want to share it with you. It's very personal. But it, it, it's, it's one of those incredibly powerful uh, narratives from the Bible that can really, I think, just make a difference in a person's life when they read it. And I've read it in a bunch. So let's go there. Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to just kind of go through this. And I'm going to kind of go quickly, but I want you to stay with me. Chapter 40, starting in verse 11. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in all his glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. Watch this. This is the kind of stuff I love right here. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? In this descriptive, who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed out the mountains and the hills? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his teacher or counselor? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? (laughs) Does he need instruction about what is good or what is best? No, for all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison with him. They are but a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales. He picks up the islands as though they had no weight at all. Just keep going through this. To whom then can we compare God? What image might we find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, decorated with silver chains? Or is a poor person's wooden idol better? Can God be compared to an idol that must be placed on a stand so it won't fall down? Of course, the answer is no. It's worded in that kind of of, uh, literature, um, a grammar structure. Have you, have you never heard or understood? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. Isn't that good? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. You know, this was written a few hundred years before Christ. If, what was Columbus? 1492? Christopher Columbus? If uh, Queen, what was her name? Queen Isabella, I think. Is that right? Uh, and, 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 and Christopher Columbus had read Isaiah chapter 40. They would have known the world wasn't flat. See that? They would have known that. They could have read that right there. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. Isn't that cool? You know, it's just a little science in Scripture there for you. The people below must seem to him like grasshoppers. He's the one who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. 
They hardly get started. They barely take root when he blows on them and their work withers. The wind carries them off like straw. And to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. And he goes, I'm not going to read it. He keeps going. He keeps, you know, who, look up to the heavens. Oh, Israel, uh, and, you know, God's people. How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Verse 28, have you never heard or understood? Don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God? And then he says, verse 29, he gives power. Here you go, guys. This is so good. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted. Young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We all become... And just one last thing. Just That's all right. Go ahead. Go to the next thing. Isaiah 55. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. God's ways are not our ways. And he says in that, in that in chapter 40 there where he says, if you just wait on the Lord, that, that's a hard thing to do. But you know what? What's the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of that would be complaining and whining and, and, and being negative and saying, oh, man. You know, that's why I love that little clip that we saw. It just showed some guy saying, okay, God, you know, you're after me. And while you may feel that way, it's not true. And waiting when the Lord is saying, you know, Lord, this is tough. And it's okay to talk to God like that. This is tough. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm needing some help, and I'm needing it pretty bad. And I'm not on your time scale, and, and I don't see things the way you see things, but any time now would help. You know, any time would be nice. I'm not saying God's going to act necessarily at that moment, but he will act. Because he has something else going on. That's, um, I want to give you just one thought and then I'm going to show you one more clip and we're going to, we're going to stop. But, um, because there's a clip that I, I'll tell you about in a second. Here's the thing I want you to see. It's easy to trust God. You know, just, I want to trust, trust you, Lord, with my family. I want to trust you, Lord, with my work. I want to trust you with it. It's easy to trust God with those things you understand. But when things start happening that you just don't understand and things just seem out of control, and you're just like, what is going on? You know, that's when we find out the depth of our trust in God. Because it's easy to trust God when you understand what's going on. It's quite different to trust God with things that you don't understand. Anybody can trust God when things are going well. It takes a person of faith and deepening faith and trust to trust God when you're saying, I don't understand. How could this person do this? How could, how could that happen to the market? How could this business tank out that was just so good yesterday? I don't understand. And God, I'm going to trust you. you, know, you know, let me help you with this. You know, the truth is, you don't have any other choice. I mean, you do, but... In reality, you don't have any other choice. You can get all upset and spin yourself into a circle and get all, you know, stressed out and ulcerified and all the other kind of stuff that can happen. But you like that word, ulcerified? Um, you, you get all messed up. What good's that going to do you? When God says, hey, I got a better way.
trust me. I'm God. I created the earth in six days. I, I measured off the dust of the mountains and piled them up as the creator. You know, I did the whole thing. Trust me. That's what God's saying. I want you to watch this real quick. I showed this clip in August, first week of August. Some of you were here back in the, when we were meeting at the at Presbyterian Church over in Summit on Sunday evening. And it's a clip from a movie. Um, and those who are listening by CD and on the net, internet, we're getting a little bit of that now. We won't be able to see it, but just, you have to go by my explanation. It's a movie that Mel Gibson did, not, not, not The Passion, which... Um, man, I appreciate what I like to do with those. I can stay up with the kids. But this is a movie they did a couple years ago. And uh, the name of the movie was, a, uh, was uh, Signs. And it's, it's in, it was filmed in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, not far from here. And, and I've been there. And it's, it's just really, a, I'm not a big alien type of movie guy, but this was really good. And there's one clip in there. Aliens are beginning to take over the world. And you're going to hear him refer to five lights or six lights or whatever. That's talking about the alien things and all that other stuff. But there's a conversation that takes place between Mel Gibson, who is this, who is this disenchanted pastor, who at this point is really wrestling with his faith. And he's talking with his brother, and they're scared to death about what's going on. So watch this, and you'll see what we're talking about. What kind of person are you? A person of faith or a person of chance? I believe the Bible clearly teaches we trust God. And there aren't coincidences. Yeah, there are bad things that happen to good people for all kinds of reasons. Some cases just because of the nature of the world in which we live. In some cases it's because of I did something stupid or failed. But in some cases it's because God is up to something else. And we trust him. And we keep trusting him. Let's pray together. Lord, we this this is a difficult topic for some, particularly when they are facing and I don't know each person here or what each person may be dealing with in their own lives right now. But I, I have no doubt in a group this size there are probably are some people who are looking at some things that, that aren't very pleasant. And Lord, I pray that we, they and all of us would just be renewed in our understanding and, and, and maybe for the first time to discover that, that you are a God that cares about the details of our lives and desires to give us the kind of life that you call an abundant life in the Bible. And for some of us, Lord, it just mean, we just may need to hang on for another little bit. And when those times comes, I pray we would think back on these words that you have written for us, particularly there in, by your man Isaiah in chapter 40, and just the wonderful truth of knowing that your, your ways aren't our ways. You're on a different level, a far different level than we are. And it's up to us only to, to, to wait and to trust. Do what we can, but to trust you in the process. So, Father, I pray for each person here. For some of us, it's going to be meaning that we just say, Lord, give me the grace and the strength that when this happens, whether it be now or whether it be in the future. For some of us, Lord, it might mean we just first come to you initially to say, Lord, I want to trust you with my life. I want to put my trust in Christ who came and, and, and suffered, went to the cross, went to the grave, died, went to the grave and rose again to give us eternal life. 
For some of us, it may mean we start right there and say, Lord, right here, right now, right where I'm sitting, I want to trust you. I want to just trust Christ and I want to give you my life and accept and believe what you did for me. I want to do that right here where I am. Lord, for the rest of us, it's a matter of give us grace, give us the ability to trust you with these things that we just don't understand. We thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. We commit it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.